What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the Drury Outdoors 100% Wild Podcast, episode number 156. And we are the only show guaranteed to get in your gizzard. I'm co-host Tim Chelsvik. Over there, we've got Mr. Matt Drury coming Matt at Drury. you. The quarantined edition from my basement, hoping my kids stay out of my office for the next hour. <laughs> Mine just made an appearance right as we were <laughs> starting to kind of pull things together for this. And I, so a lot of props to my wife for keeping, keeping the kids out of, uh, out of the show, but that doesn't guarantee they won't just roll in. Yeah. Oh, it's, very well happened. it's part of it. You know what? Yeah. I'm excited because today we got a longtime friend of Drury Outdoors and, you know, in recent years, a, um, a cohort, a guy that has helped us immensely and knows his stuff in the industry, a guy by the name of Chase Rawson from Rubline Marketing and Consulting. He's the owner. He's the man. What's up, Chase? Thanks for having me on, guys. I'm, I'm excited. I'm looking forward to it. For now. <laughs> for, for now, yes. Just wait till yes. we get into it a little bit. Will there be a test afterwards? <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the working title for, for this week's show, and by the way, this will probably be our last quarantine show. I, I think that we're going to get back into the studio next week, and so you can probably expect the normal setup. And uh, and, and I know that I, I'm personally excited about getting back to the studio. There's just something a little a little off about doing these shows via Zoom. And I think people are kind of wore out with the novelty of seeing people's homes. Right. Agreed. <laughs> you know, it's one of those things where it, we're in Missouri. We're located in Missouri, our offices, and, and Governor Parsons has kind of opened it back up in Missouri starting May 4th. You know, of course, there's a lot of guidelines that you got to follow and, and, and pay attention to as you go back to work. But, you know, it's one of those deals that, we, we got to get back at some point. And obviously we're not, um, we're, we're not scientists. We're not health professionals. We don't know, you know, the, the, we're not on the front line, so to speak. Uh, but I know what it has done to our business. I know what it has done to all of our partners' businesses. And at some point, you know, and I, and I'm not saying I know when the date should be, but if our governor says, Hey, we can go back to work. We are we are going to go back to work, and we got to go back to work because, frankly, this is just killing uh, our economy. It's killing our industry, and I've said it from the get go that our industry is one that that was kind of on the ropes to begin with. I felt like, and um, it's an interesting dynamic because we're seeing hunting numbers kind of spike because all these people are at home and they got nothing else to do. That's great. The problem is they can't go buy any gear or product or very little. I mean, you can still go online to, you know, Bass Pro Cabela's and some of those stores are open uh, here and there and they're following, you know, certain guidelines. But in general, you know, uh, and, and that's why we got Chase on here today to talk about this. But in general, there's no uh, new product coming in. There's no, you know, a lot of the plants are shut down across the, the states uh, that, you know, so the American made stuff isn't being being made because the plants are shut down. The stuff overseas isn't coming in right now because that's all kind of shut down. So you got this kind of perfect storm and it's un, it's really unfortunate. You know, we're seeing the spike in hunting numbers, which is great, but there's not the kind of windfall that, that would typically go with that with um, our consumer 
kind of uh, put, putting more money back into this engine and continue to keep it steamrolling. So it's one of those things where, you know, as soon as the you know, as soon as our Missouri, you know, the Missouri state government said, Hey, you guys can go back to work. We're going to go back to work and we're going to, you know, be careful and practice, you know, what the CDC says, but it's time, man, we got to get back at rolling. We got, we're getting geared up for the TV show season. And there's just stuff that, you know, we were fortunate all our editors could be working from home, but it's just not the same, you know, and, and it's, we, we, you just know that productivity, it's just different. It's just different when you're at the office and you're amongst peers and you have that ability to uh, brainstorm with each other. I mean, we have Slack, we have Zoom, we have all these tech tools, but it's just not the same. So I, for one, am excited to get back and hopefully we can be careful and, uh, and be responsible, but I am excited to get back to the studio. Time to start wearing pants again, right? That's right. <laughs> yep. I, talk, I think I talked to you, Matt, about two weeks ago when you were excited to get back to the mm-hmm. studio. You're, you were lived, five days in, you were done with the quarantine life. Well, it's, it's the only, I, I think for me personally, the only positive that I have taken away from it, two positives, I guess. One, I've saved like 10 hours a week in driving, you know, right. and, and so five, six weeks, you know, like 50, 60 hours of driving, you know, gas money and, and, you know, the time in your vehicle and all that stuff. That's been nice. The real positive for me is getting to spend the time with the kids. I mean, I'm not with them all day. I'm still working down here, but to be able to stop at five and go upstairs and be, you know, and oh, yeah. be there with them or at lunch, go upstairs and be there for an hour with them, whatever it is. That's been nice. I haven't enjoyed that, but otherwise work-wise, I mean, it, it's our business is in, is in rough shape right now, like many uh, out there in America. And to me, the only recipe to fix that is to get get our butts back in in the studio and get to work. Right, right. This is exactly why we have Chase on today. So, Chase, how about you tell us a little bit about your tell the listeners about your background, your longevity in the outdoor industry? Because when we were talking about this notion of the brands you trust and you want to support one to make sure that we still have an outdoor industry at the end of this. You were the first guy that came to mind because you just got your finger on the pulse there. Well, I appreciate it guys. So I'm not going to bore everybody with my long, long background, but I come from the corporate world. Um, I come from general motors. I was there a long time. And ironically um, I started Rubline marketing in 2008 uh, because we went through a crash in 2008. And um, well, frankly, I lost my job um, along with, you know, millions of, of Americans across the country in 2008. And so the reason Rubline came about was actually Matt's uncle had put the idea in my head. I had known him for years. We were kind of neighbors. And um, it was one of those things where I wanted to be able to control my own destiny. So, and I couldn't do that in a large corporation. So anyway, um, brought me here today. And so interestingly, here we are again. So 2008, we go through this monstrosity of a crash. Everybody's 401ks are gone. Wall Street's a mess. There's bank bailouts um, and unemployment's through the roof. And so now 12 years later, whatever it is, we're sitting here talking about it again. Uh, The positive thing is, is look, we recovered and we recovered really, really well. I think this COVID-19 situation is going to teach us a lot of things. One, it came uh, a lot faster and a lot more furious than 
depression we felt in the past. Um, but specifically to hunting, to the outdoors, and Matt, you had touched on it, I think, just a second ago. There's more people out there, right? There's more people out hunting. Um, and I had actually got a text this morning um, from um, Stephen over at uh, Inside Archery. And it was just a positive text. He, he shot me a message and said, hey, Colorado license sales are up. And he got me thinking, <clears throat> I'm like, I'm going to check U.S. Fish and Wildlife just to see what their stats are. So that you guys will find this interesting. Um, in fifth, 2015, we had about 35,850,000 tags sold. 16 was about 36.3 million. 17 was 36.8 million. 18 was 37 million. Now, 19 is what everybody talks about was last year. Oh, license sales are terrible. And they, they went down. They were 35.9. But right now, 2020, U.S. Fish and Wildlife is reporting 38 million, 38 million, 854,000 tags. Wow. Okay. That's huge. Before the fall? That's it. Well, remember, these aren't like individual deer tags. These are hunting licenses. Okay. So a lot of hunting licenses are auto-renewed or bought at the beginning of the year. Um, I think Iowa were January 10th um, is when you buy your tags. So that was straight off of Fish and Wildlife's website. And, mm-hmm. um, and whether that's a projected number based upon curve or whatever, I'm not sure. But that's a great story to tell. Um, brands specifically right now need to hear that because uh, they're going through, man, they're just going through a really rough, rough time. Um, just like you said, Matt, number one, they can't get stuff manufactured here. And they've also realized their vulnerability overseas. Um, when borders are shut down and ships aren't, aren't sailing and planes aren't flying, um, they can't get product in. So, and a tremendous amount of our goods comes from, you know, overseas or parts do come from overseas, whether it's an electronic board in a game camera, or it's a, um, you know, piece of glass, um, you know, uh, Leupold, I think a lot of their glass doesn't come from Germany or, um, Swiss, yeah, I don't know about the glass, but the the scopes themselves are made here in Beaverton, right. Oregon. So they they're deemed essential, and they got some government contracts. So they're actually still chugging along in a lot of ways. I don't know Good. exactly where the glass is coming from, though. But yeah. I know in general, the metal, you know, the the stuff that they're making the scopes out of is here in Beaverton, yep. Oregon. Yeah, you look at um, you know, uh, we talk about China a lot, but it affects. So many other places. So like we work with a company that does um, some engineering and they're in Austria and even there in Austria, like they weren't allowed. Uh, they're a lot more controlled than even the U S but I mean, there's, there's literally military standing by making sure you're not going to work and it just shut so much industry down. So that's scary. I mean, um, it is 13. Look this morning. It's like 13% unemployment, right? 17 million people have filed in the last four weeks like unprecedented numbers. Um, but I'm still an optimist and I truly think that uh, there's going to be a lot of good that comes out of this thing as long as we let it. And we kind of, we did a great job preaching social distancing. Now it's going to be all of our responsibility to really preach. Like we would have survived, right? Hunters, uh, outdoorsmen, we would have been just fine. So we can get our own groceries, you know, kill our own food. Um, we love shopping. We love shopping for the latest bow, the latest gun, the latest scope, you know, new camo. So I think there's a lot more positive to happen than just negative. 
Yeah. And hopefully uh, people are seeing a light at the end of the tunnel. I mean, it may be difficult this year, but next year we got a lot more people turned on to uh, hunting and the outdoors in general. And those people, the economy bounces back and they've got a steady job and they're going to be buying equipment and licenses and all those kind of things. So that's, yeah. there's definitely a light at the end of the tunnel if you can just survive this, this storm. I yeah. think, I think you got to be cautiously optimistic though <clears throat> with those numbers because Ultimately, I think a big reason why our numbers have increased this year is, is frankly, all due to youth sports. And, and I'm telling you, you know, I'm seeing people in my neighborhood here that I've never seen before, you know, <laughs> in six, seven years of living here. And it, I'm telling you, youth sports, for good or bad or whatever, I, you know, you, whatever way you want to look at it, it has effectively shut off the spigot for hunting and it shut off our uh, youth from having that interest level and can, and getting involved early and staying involved. Most of the people I'm seeing, this is just, uh, um, I'd love to see data on this. I, I have, these are just observations, but my feeds and, and Instagram and Facebook, I'm seeing so many youth hunters and deer cast realistically in the fan shares so many more youth hunters this year. And the stories are always like, well, you know, this is the first time we've gotten out in several years, you know, or it's, it's, their schedules are too busy. Youth sports totally sucks out. Oh, I'm telling you, it sucks Matt, out the lifeblood of America. Matt, I am telling you, you hit the nail on the head. So, um, great thing about Facebook is time hop, right? It, it, it pulls up those old memories, you know, and I love that about Facebook because, and i I'm not really a big Facebooker, but I love when my time hop comes up, especially around hunting season. It's like, wow, 10 years ago, I killed that deer, you know, on this day. So the last turkey my daughter killed, she was 12 years old. Okay. And I knew that because a time hop came up and I found it interesting because I took her out last Saturday. It had been, she's 16. It's been four years since I've taken her hunting. Now she loves to hunt. Here's the problem. AAU volleyball, um, club sport volleyball, high school volleyball. She's in every, all this volleyball stuff. And her coach, bless her heart, she's got a great coach. But if you're not in, not just the school sport, but you're also in all the club stuff, guess what? You're not not in. You're not in. So it sucks the life out of you. It's practiced several days a week, several times a day, every day a week. I mean, I, I, Look, I, I know it's going to be an up, unpopular opinion for probably a lot of people that have kids and mine are too young to be in this realm yet. But <clears throat> I see my sisters go through it with their kids. They're a little bit older and, and they, you know, they love youth sports. They love the community that they built within, you know, with the other parents and the other kids and, and the travel and all that stuff. They love all that. And, and I'm not knocking that and, and the structure and um, the discipline that they probably learn out of it and working as a team. I, I'm not hitting, I'm not knocking that. I'm just frankly stating that it has killed our hunting numbers and it's killed the amount of new kids getting into hunting. And I, I've said it for years and I feel like this is proving my point. I mean, it's not rocket science. I'm not, you know, breaking any barriers here and saying it, but I mean, I feel like this is totally proving my point. You, you, you're stating yeah. these hunting numbers that are going up. I guarantee you a lot of those are youth hunters that have not hunted in a while. You, I think you hit the nail on the head, Matt. And, and, you know, it's not like these sports just were invented the last 10 years. 
it's the competitive level continues to go up and up and the and the demand for winning has gone so far off the charts that now the pressure's on those kids to be there seven days a week. Well, it goes far beyond that. Also, let's be frank. They're building these sports complexes all over the country that they're pumping out sports every day, all day long. It's a money, it's a big money making machine. And so I, I get it. I get it. But at the end of the day, it's, it's not only stopping the kids from getting in, but it's in a lot of cases, it's just stopping the parents because they don't have any time. They don't have the time to go hunting because they're constantly out of practice or a game. And if you miss that stuff as the parent, you, you know, let's be real. It ain't like it was 20 years ago. That's right. Like I never saw dad at any sporting event I was at. He was working or hunting. Well, yep. now if you miss that stuff, you're a real POS, you know, oh, yeah. and that's the reality of it. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. I hope though that like, again, I I try to be a complete optimist and I really hope that some of these guys who haven't hunted in five years that they went Turkey hunting for the first time in five years, right? Cause they just didn't have anything else to do. Um, I'll, I'll tell you, so Saturday I went Saturday and Sunday I went on Sunday, I went to the farthest North East corner of my farm. And it's not a place I go very often because one for deer, I blow everything out of it. It's so far back there and I don't get a chance to turkey hunt that much. So I thought I'm going to go all the way back there. And it was so peaceful. I literally took a nap up against a tree. <laughs> like I haven't done, I haven't turkey hunted like that. I bet in 10 years because it was always just hunt first thing in the morning and get back. And I got something else to do. Well, I literally went in in the morning, didn't kill anything, heard some gobbles in the afternoon, propped up and, and, uh, I was chilling on a, on a stump on a D wedge and I fell asleep for like, I don't know, probably an hour. It was nice. amazing. Like I <laughs> literally, up and he was crawling with ticks. <laughs> I was too. Yeah. <laughs> but I was like, I want to go do this again. Like just to fall asleep in the woods. I hope there's that many more people out there that got out, you know, for the first time in several years. And they said, I'm not going to let this happen again. I'm going to go back out and Turkey hunter. I'm going to go back out and deer hunt, or I'm going to go catch some crappies. Like, that's my hope is, is we get a renewed interest in the outdoors. Cause let's face it, it's good for the soul. And if more people just got back into that, I think we'd all um, appreciate the social distance even a little bit more. No doubt. And I, I know I've been taking my kids fishing once a week and, and fishing is something I just haven't had a whole lot of time to devote to over the past few years, but we've been catching bluegill and some bass and we bring them home and fry them up and they love eating them. They love catching them. And yeah. it's something that I, I, frankly, I don't know that we would be doing if there weren't the lack of other opportunities. And so my youngest, he's completely hooked on fishing. My daughter has been hooked on fishing for a few years now, but these are opportunities that are opening up because we're not doing something else that would be open at this time. Yeah. Yeah. It's, but it's also, it's heartbreaking. You know, that, you know, I know Tim, Matt, you guys talk to your brands that, that you work with all the time and, um, it's heartbreaking the blood, sweat, and tears that these brands have put in to build their brands up and see how quickly overnight it can just, you know, hurt them and almost destroy them. It's, uh, it breaks my heart. I'm talking to brands every day and man, it's tough. So it's it's one thing to be a bad businessman and, and, right. But it's another thing when you did, we're doing everything right. You had worked your butt off and you built out of your control and, and it's totally out of your control. Whether you're a 30 year brand or a three year brand, 
it doesn't matter, man. It's it's knocking all of us down. So let's you know circle back onto this topic a little bit, and you know just talk. You know what what are some of the things that you're seeing from the brands that you work with, Chase? You know what what is there a positive outlook here in the next month or two months or how, how yeah. long? You know I, I know from who I talk to that the new purchase orders POs aren't coming in right now, and that's ultimately the issue. And in a lot of instances, they couldn't get the product if they wanted it, if they had the purchase order anyways. Right. So let's start with um, the obvious retail, right? Um, so in every, you know, town across America, or at least not too far of a drive, you've got, you know, a Bob's Bow Shop, or you've got a, you know, um, Larry's Tackle and Sports. Um, drive a little further, you've got a Cabela's, you've got a Bass Pro um, you know, every Walmart almost has got a sporting goods section. That retail component has just been killed. Um, I talked, I was in a meeting with the guys at Shields the other day and, you know, they're fortunate in a lot of areas, they're still open, but um, even you just close one store that, op, you know, it costs millions of dollars a month to operate. It just brutalizes them. So the biggest fear I think that, that all of us have um, that work with these brands is there was still a percentage of folks that a good percentage of folks that love to go in for the shopping experience. Okay. It's why Cabela's has got mounts and, and streams and mountains in their store because it's more than just, you know, it's an experience. It's why you still go into Bob's bow shop because it's almost like our Starbucks, right? Like it's a hunter Starbucks. They like to go in and maybe they're just picking up a $3 worth of knocks, but it's the fact that, they get to talk about what was going on in the woods that weekend, what fish they were catching. It's their coffee shop. Well, all that boom overnight is gone. We took that percentage of folks that love retail and we educated them on how to shop online. They had to. They had to buy their toilet paper online. They had to get um, their hand sanitizer. And then all of a sudden they go, oh, well, I'll buy my knocks online. Okay. That's the scary part is that we educated these people who love the shopping experience that they can do everything that they used to do. Now they can go do it online. Um, our hope is, is that they quickly rush back because they're so sick of not having that retail experience. They, they like that. We hope that that drives them back into the stores and the POs come back. Now the stores have a little bit of that responsibility too. Um, Matt, you remember the days when, um, uh, oh gosh, your dad, you know, probably got drugged to a Cabela's or a Bass Pro or whatever to do a seminar, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, they're going to have to find ways to bring that back, to bring excitement back in and get people off the computers and have an experience. What's interesting there, you know, and we have noticed that over the last five years, that luster has kind of faded. I think they still have it for the, the, the Major League Fishing side. Mm -hmm. you, you see the big crowds that those pro anglers command. But on the hunting side, unless you're Michael or, or um, you know, Eva or Jim or, you know, there's only a few key names out there that can draw a crowd that, that really brings people in. And I think it's because the retail uh, side had pushed that down everybody's throats every fall, every spring, every, every chance they got, there was a, a, an appearance. I just think people are over it for the most part. Um, so it'll be interesting, you know, our philosophy was always, if we're going to do it, we'd rather do, uh, a seminar, you know, Q and a okay. versus an appearance. Cause 
frankly, who the hell wants to see us? I, I, I don't think anybody cares to see us, but they would, there's a lot of people that would love to hear the information that Mark and Terry have and, and, and can impart. So I don't know. I think if they're going to go back to that to get tried to draw a consumer into the stores, they're going to have to get real creative and think of ways to, to make it fresh again because it's stale yeah. right now. And, and yeah. frankly, a lot of consumers are just over, you know, over the TV personalities because there's, you know, you know, there's been a lot of not a lot, but there's been a few knuckleheads out there that have d- done some questionable things and got in trouble. And it's kind of, you know, a bad egg spoiled us all. And so I, I think, you know, I think that's lost its luster for a lot of consumers out there, or viewers. And ultimately, I think that this uh, COVID-19 is going to, you know, it, it's going to have this daisy chain effect. And at the end of it, I think it's going to clear out a lot of the lower end producers that that the sponsor money is just going to dry up because it's not there. Right. You know, I, I know what is happening on, to our business and how hard it is right now and, and what's happening on, on the partnership side. I can only imagine, you know, some of the newer shows or, or, or some of the shows that are kind of struggling to begin with that I would think this would be a final blow for a lot of them. It will be. Um, <clears throat> and the same with manufacturers. I mean, um, manufacturers are going to learn the same thing if they're not resourceful. Um, if they don't have those strong, either a vendor relations that they can jump right back in with this, when this lifts, or they've got a strong consumer direct approach, it's going to be hard for them. Um, but again, let's talk about the retail thing. So there's, what do they do to, to engage and bring people into the stores? But then also, and I've said this the last couple of years, Retail has gotten, um, like, it's hard to find anything new. You walk in and guess what? It's all the same stuff. And that's because these buyers are under a tremendous amount of pressure to one, not upset the apple cart. And these buyers have got to, they're constantly pressured to go with less vendors who have more SKUs. Okay. So cut down the amount of vendors you work with, make those vendors have more SKUs. Okay. And that's where you see the the, uh, the Arcuses and the Faradines. And, um, and this isn't a knock on any of them. It's just, it's what's happening in our industry. It's less vendors, more SKUs. Well, that also creates for the consumer, okay, they see the same brands in every store they go into. And so then um, I'm trying to think um, uh, one of your brands that is just completely like new and different. Um, what's one of the brands you work with, Matt, that you know, maybe isn't as well known. Maybe it's something newer. Um, yeah, I'd say, well, well, you know, a brand that you have worked with for a long time as well. Uh, Tactcam would be a newer brand, you know, that has right. an interesting product, a technical technological product. Yep. Uh, that, that'd be an interesting brand to look at. Okay. So let's take those guys, for example. So um, when you look at that brand, can you imagine if, if there was five, companies similar to GoPro and they just owned all the shelf space. Well, if you kept going in there and you always just saw GoPro, 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 it tends to, you get bored with it is all I'm saying. Um, it's important for these stores to start finding and seeking out things that are different brands that they haven't seen before. And that's going to be a risk on those buyers because they might be smaller companies. They might be companies that just aren't quite out there, but it's also part of retail's responsibility to bring in something new. Great example is, is can you imagine, uh, and, th- and I only bring this up because I know the guy that did it. Um, 
I know the guy that first brought Crocs to the Midwest. Croc shoes, okay? Um, he was overseas. He saw him. He had actually invested into the company. Um, he knew a couple stores in California that had brought Crocs in. And uh, in the mall in Des Moines, Iowa, he had a big shoe store, brought him in. Guess what? The guy made millions, okay? It's going to take our retail buyers doing that same philosophy is, is find the Croc when it's brand new. Like go out there and seek it out. Don't always rely on less vendors who just have more SKUs that are pumping out the same stuff. Um, that's one thing that retail can do. Consumers have got to want to get back into retail stores. Talk to the retail stores. If there's something you want to see in there, okay, tell them. Um, who, geez, who, who would you tell? Like if you walk in there, you talk to a cashier, do you ask to speak to a manager? Who's going to make that call? Um, you know, I've always taken the approach that I talk to the manager. Now it's a little different for me, but um, I guess being in the industry, I've always just had a really strong opinion about stuff like that. So I'll say those things. Um, I was just, I was, I was literally just in the tire shop the other day, and um, my wife's uh, suburban has got twenty-two inch wheels on it. Okay, so I'm in there and I'm trying to get a tire deal, and he goes, and the guy says to me, he's like, "Well." These are just too ridiculously big for a vehicle. And I said, well, they're kind of standard now on a lot of vehicles. Like manufacturers are putting 22-inch rims on. It's like, that's just standard business. And um, he says to me that, well, we don't have a machine big enough to take tires off on a 22. And I literally just said to him, I said, well, as a consumer, I would expect that you get this machine because a lot of vehicles, like that's just my personality. Like you should do this to keep up with the times. Um, if I'm in a Cabela's and I see, keep seeing the same stuff over and over again, mm -hmm. I'm going to say, like, why don't you get something new in? I see the same deer pee on these shelves every single time. I want to look at different deer pee, just as an example. Um, one store that I got to give a, a huge props to is Shields. They do a great job of individually buying. Um, they allow their stores to buy individually. So you might go into five different Shields and they'll have five different lineups, which is kind of a unique model. It's a little tougher for a Cabela's or a Bass Pro to do that. But I do think those stores should start taking a look at how do we get new manufacturers in to change it up. That was always kind of the thrill of the hunt for my dad and I growing up. We did a lot of walleye and sauger fishing mm -hmm. and we used walleye assassins. They're like a, a grub tail and they were so hard to find. But anytime we were in a little town, we'd stop at a, at a bait and tackle shop and just look for walleye assassins. And we call each other, Hey, I've, I found, we'll buy them out, you know, buy as many as you can. And it was fun. Like, yeah. you know, and we probably bought a few other things while we were in there, but just, I mean, it is, it does kind of feel like you're hunting when you go into a retail store, you know, kind of what you want, you know, what you're looking for. And it's fun to know that it's not going to be a homogenous experience. Like you could find oh, yeah. something totally different or off the wall that maybe your buddies back home don't have, but you're traveling and you pick something up that was unique and brought it back. I think it was a Casey's. I found a uh, a Drury Outdoors DVD collection at Casey's. Did, did that happen, Matt? <laughs> yeah, we had it in there for uh, a couple seasons where yeah. all Casey's had, uh, basically it was like a little uh, display there at the counter at checkout and it had our DVDs. That would have been probably, shoot, maybe a decade ago now. Yeah, but I remember it. Like it was so yeah. exciting for me to walk into a Casey's as a hunter. And I'm like, I'm buying a Drury Outdoors DVD at a gas station. This is so cool. Unfortunately, um, they didn't sell where the crap and we had to buy a lot of them back. <laughs> That's the peril of being a manufacturer or a company. Like you think you hit it big, you get in a, 
you know, Cabela's, Bass Pro, Walmart, or Casey's, whatever, you find these interesting ways to get your product out there. But those box stores, in a lot of ways, they really hold you, you know, your feet to they the do. fire. And if they don't perform, a lot of times you really take it on the chin. And, yeah. uh, and that's kind of, that's the perils of it. Just that's a business. You, you know, it is. And that's, and that's where those buyers have a hard time, which I get, like I said, it's, um, it's not a knock on any of them. I understand their pressures, but they're in a situation where if they take the risk, right. Well, what if it doesn't sell? But at the same time, they're going to have to get out of their comfort zone and try different things as this thing lifts. I think the bigger concern would be, you know, just my, and this is, you know, not a, uh, a survey either, but just talking to the, the employees there in the studio yesterday, we had a zoom call and, um, you know, I, I mentioned going back to work as says, if anybody's uncomfortable with that, you know, we could talk about it and, and, and maybe work something out for you. And, and a couple of them mentioned they're very uneasy going in to go grocery shopping or, and, and I said, you know, I hadn't been many places since quarantine started, but I had to go to Lowe's, uh, the, over the weekend to pick up some stuff. And I agreed with them. Like, it, it just, you see everybody with masks and you're trying to stay away from everybody and you're trying to watch what you touch and, you know, make sure you don't touch your face after you touch anything. And, you know, it, it is, I think that stigma is not just for our space, for all spaces. It's going to be a tough one to, uh, it's going to be a tough hurdle to get back over. And, yeah. you know, all the stores are doing their best and they got, you know, hand sanitizer and they're, you know, they're cleaning the stores and they're different hours. But, it's a stigma that's that the media has just drilled into our heads that it's going to be tough to get over. So I got to, I got to pull up my screen here and show you. So this is the other day. Um, these are just snippets. I screenshot this and I don't know if this will work holding it up to my computer, but um, this is screenshots of over 30. It, this is a 15 minute period scrolling through social media of over 30 different companies selling face masks. Yeah all sponsored ads. Okay. Yeah. Just hammer and hammer and hammer and, um, buy a face mask, buy a face mask. We're in a totally different society now. Um, I just hope, like I said, it gets back to normal because it's, it, it's a little ridiculous what precautions you're almost being led down the road of having to believe you've got to take all the time. And look, we all know the n- numbers on flu. We all know the numbers on car wrecks and everything else. Um, this is just one of those things that we got to figure out a vaccine and we got to move past it and move past it quickly. They keep talking about COVID potentially being transmitted by farts. So we've outlawed farting in the studio. So when we come back next week, there will be zero farts. That is, that's a tough call, man. I mean, you're going to have some pretty upset stomachs there. Well, I have a feeling sweet ace uh, just <laughs> can be some upset people. <laughs> A lot of people getting up out of their desks and walking outside. Right, right. <laughs> no smoke breaks, but uh, <laughs> people hoping their tummies feel better. Yeah. You know, in, in the outdoor industry, people have such strong affiliations with their brands. And and no, and, and, and we all, and, and if, I mean, live long enough and you're going to reminisce about, oh, I used to shoot this bow, but they're no longer in I, my, my first, my first, well, I'm trying to think. As an adult, the first bow I bought was a Parker. Parker's not around anymore. Right. Um, And it's always sad to see uh, a a, a shop have to close their doors. For those of us that maybe still have jobs and and have a pretty steady income coming in, 
how can we best support, given that retail may not be an option right now, how can we best support those brands to make sure they're still there on the backside for us? Man, that's brand loyalty is huge. And I love, you know, throw any debate out there, right? Like what's the best broadhead? I mean, that's a fun one. You want to get social media talking. Yeah. Um, but you think about that once you get through all the noise, you got to love the fact that, you know, if you're a rage guy, you're a rage guy. Like that's just who you are. Um, and that brings a lot of passion. Like as we go through this thing, if any, if the listeners take anything away, um, those brands that you're so loyal to, believe me, they don't take it lightly. Um, they're just, you know, let's face it. We don't have billion dollar brands, very few billion dollar brands in the outdoor industry. Um, but if you go over to, let's say healthcare products, you've got billion and trillion dollar brands. You go into the automotive industry, billion and trillion dollar brands in the outdoor industry. We're full of hundreds of thousands and million dollar brands. So that means CEOs, guess what? They're still reading your Facebook comments. Um, CEOs, when you have a problem with a product, okay, maybe it's a sales manager or maybe it's a product engineer, they're bringing it to the guy that started the company, let's say, and saying, Hey, we've got a problem. Like, you know, Tim in Missouri reported this failure to us. We've got to look into it. And that's a great thing about the industry we're in is they're loyal back. I mean, for the most part, like I'm speaking in generalities, but they are, they're very loyal back to their consumers. And you can say that about a tremendous amount. You look at the the sponsor list that Dre Outdoors has. I mean, you guys know this. They care about what your customers think. Um, I've done enough deals with Matt to know like <laughs> you guys don't won't endorse a product until you've used it and know that it works. And I've heard from the manufacturers like, yay, we want that. Like we want them to use it and abuse it and make sure before they put their name on it. So we're in a very small industry and I hope that consumers will be loyal to their brands and, and seek them out. And I think manufacturers are going to have a renewed appreciation for the customers that buy their product. And, mm-hmm. um, and I think the fun part will be is, is how manufacturers look at this and go, you know, this presented a real challenge working with, let's say, Taiwan or China or whoever, um, because let's just face it, like certain things like plastics and some electronics, like you just have to get overseas. I think this might even, depending on how long it goes, it may force the U.S. Uh, manufacturing market to say, how do we get control of this? How do we not lose the ability like cut and sew, right? Cut and sew is huge overseas. Um, it's cheap labor. Let's face it, it's fabric and you got to sew it. Well, this may say to a few manufacturers, we've got to figure out how to cut and sew here in the U.S. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and that's kind of exciting too. I think the thing there would be if the consumer is ready to pay more for it, because ultimately that's what's going to happen. And and you're hitting it in a time where a lot of people may not have the extra cash to be able to afford it. But that that's the sacrifice Americans got to be willing to make. You know, you got to be willing to pay more for the product if you want it truly made in the USA. And that's just the reality of it. A hundred percent. So, you know, Thermoseat's been doing cut and sew in New Hampshire for 40 years. Um, and we, I was just in this conversation with them at shot show and they were like, man, it is so hard from a profit margin standpoint because the consumer doesn't want to pay a whole bunch more. But, um, Joey was saying, you know, his dad, who's had the business for 40 years, he's like, look, I don't want to go overseas period. Like I want, 
it all made here in New Hampshire, in New Hampshire, I think is how he says it, New Hampshire. And that was important for him. Well, guess what? Today, they've had no interruption in manufacturing. Huh. Like they, they don't have any problem because they didn't bring that product in. So um, those companies that are U.S. made are, are feeling a true benefit right now. Um, as long as our states allow them to, to work, which in most part, most of ours, you know, have been okay. Yeah, that's the um, problem. Like Wisconsin, you know, several uh, partners up there, it's just shut down. <laughs> you know, it's like right. they can't get people into the plants. And that's a, that's a, you know, it's just such a unique set of circumstances. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So. Well, and as a consumer, it sounds like right now you may have more leverage regarding your feedback than ever before. I think so. Yeah. I mean, um, you know, <laughs> I think the brands have always wanted to listen. Maybe it's just, they have more time to listen right now. Like, uh, sure. they're now they're definitely look, they're, they're counting on the consumer, like make, make no mistake about it. Um, as we come out of Turkey season here and we're starting to look towards fall manufacturers are scratching their heads saying, are, are there stores going to be open? Are we going to have time to replenish the shelves of those stores? Are the POs going to come in? Do we have to have a consumer direct strategy, which is really hard because um, there's a lot of manufacturers who have pushed off a true consumer direct strategy um, in support of their dealers. And now they've had to go, well, what do we do? I mean, the, the stores aren't open. We have to have a consumer direct strategy. Yeah. Um, do they go back away from that when the stores open back up? It, it's anybody's game. Who knows? I don't know what the right answer is, but um, the consumer hopefully will go back to the stores. At least that's we need that in America. We don't need a 100% online shopping experience everywhere. We need retail. It's good for the economy. It's good for employment. Um, but again, like I said, retail will have to be done a little differently. That's all. Yeah. Great. Any other parting words of wisdom regarding the landscape of the outdoor industry right now? Um, I, like I said, all this chat we've had, I'm looking at, I put this note down in front of my monitor and it's 38 million, like an uptick. The text I got this morning, Colorado license sales are up. So we should be proud of that. I think Matt hit the nail on the head that with sporting events being closed down, we, we grabbed back maybe more hunters that they were hunting. They, they got so busy that they haven't had time. I think if you take anything positive away from COVID-19, it's like, Hey, we got people back out in the woods and that's pretty cool that something caused you to just say the heck with it. I'm going Turkey hunting this weekend. Yeah. You know? And I learned to cut my own hair. <laughs> you did a nice job by the way. So I've been working on it for years. Hey, <laughs> you're doing it too. We're both big boys. That's right. <laughs> This is getting a little shaggy. I'll tell you, I noticed Matt, you're getting a little shaggy there too. I've trimmed it like five times since we've been off actually. Now the hair, it's, I haven't had a haircut since the end of February. So I yeah. wondered about you, Matt, you're like a I, weekly haircut guy. Yeah. Every couple of weeks. So I'm, I'm looking forward to getting back, uh, getting back in, you know, I, I was thinking about, it. I was like, well, you know, Hey, I saved some money, but then I thought I didn't save any money. Cause I sent my, I've been mowed my haircut lady. I've been going to her like 15 years. I've been mowed her some money. Just, you know, I oh. feel so bad that industry, you oh, think oh, about them, yeah. they're just, you know, like many restaurant industry and uh, that type of thing would just, just gutted right now. You know, yeah. that's their whole source of income. Did well, you, uh, did, have you guys killed a turkey? I didn't, I didn't hear if you've been out or not. 
Yes, I killed one on opening day in Missouri. Cameron was with me. Terry was with me. Tim, on the other hand. I just like to have close calls. <laughs> I enjoy the experience. It's not about the kill. I mean, I'm with you. Really? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I keep trying to bow hunt turkeys and I have so many close calls and it's just stupid. Like I do it to myself. If so I just take a shotgun. I, so if you guys over. had to rely on just hunting for your food source, could you do it? <laughs> nope. Um, <laughs> let's just say if it got real bad and the, and the rules all went out the window, as long as I had a rifle, I think I'll be okay. Yeah. yeah. No kidding. Right Better off to sneak over the border to Missouri. Um, <laughs> you know, although uh, if we get into deer hunting a little bit, I've heard a pretty good rumor that um, they are going to open up um, Iowa rifle season again. So we'll probably see that we had it. It's been several years, um, but they would take like the bottom two counties of Iowa, which is of course where Mark's at and I'm at. Um, and they would allow a doe only rifle season, which was kind of fun because here in the middle of January, when a lot of places are closed, you got to take a six, five Creed out or a 30 out six or whatever and go rifle hunting. Although antlerless, it was still fun. Um, and talking to the Iowa DNR, they're going to probably bring that back. So, cool. um, it usually is, it lasts about two weeks and you can bring any rifle. that's bigger than, I think it's a 25 caliber or something. Wow. Look into that. So speaking of deer hunting, our question of the day is about deer hunting and it's coming from Mark Norton out of Pennsylvania. All right. The question of the day is proudly brought to you by RTP Outdoors, your home of the groundbreaking, groundbreaker, three-in-one food plot implement. God, we're so smooth. Damn right. Hello, Martin Norton calling again. I don't think I did this right the first time. My question was, is it necessary to cut the glands out of the legs? I used to do it, but I kind of got away from it. Just kind of forgot about it. I've asked a lot of old timers about it and nobody really has a good answer for it. And I'm just wondering if you could tell me something about it. I'm from Pennsylvania. Thank you. Bye. So Mark asked a question and I assume he's, he's talking about the tarsal glands on a deer. So should you cut the tarsal glands off a buck before processing him? Have you guys even thought about that before? Never thought about it. I haven't. No. So I, I did a little research and, uh, cause I always, le- I'll, I'll cut them off. Like if it's a doe, I'll cut them off and, and use them as uh, as a buck lure sometime to, you know, he'd kill them while they're in estrus. But, um, but if you go back and look, a lot of old timers will say you got to cut them out or they'll taint the meat. And according to QDMA and Kip Adams, that's kind of an old wives tale. That's not really a thing. Although, because every deer has tarsal glands and every deer urinates on their tarsal glands. There is a real potent mix of bacteria there that you don't want in your meat and could actually make you sick. So you want to avoid touching them if you can. And you definitely want to avoid your knife coming in the knife that you're using to process your deer coming in contact with those tarsal glands and then coming in contact with the rest of the meat on the deer. So, uh, it doesn't sound, they, they don't taint the meat, but they can make you sick if you, you know, touching your face and stuff after you have touched the glands. So you don't got to take them out. Learn something new every day. That that's was like a wildlife word, Tim. It was. It's almost like we could skip that segment if it weren't sponsored by zoommeetings.com. <laughs> this one's sponsored by Rubline. Uh, Let's do that. Yeah. 
marketing and consulting. We're just giving away sponsorships, whatever. I love it. Yeah. Well, I, I will say this, there's, there's definitely been um, some other positives that have happened with this that we've noticed is um, we've got uh, clients on the firearm side and uh, you know, I will tell you that um, handgun and ammunition sales have, oh, have done very, very well. <laughs> no doubt. So no doubt. a lot of new, you know, I think they bought it. Uh, I think a lot of new shooters came in and bought it for the fact of, oh, I might need it for self-defense or whatever. Um, this whole thing dies in the shooting industry is saying the same thing. We hope they take that and they look at it and they go, Hey, I should go out to the range. Hey, I should get classes and learn how to use this properly. And, you know, so that's what we're hoping for on the firearm side too. Yeah. The last thing we need is a bunch of Barney fives running around with brand new handguns. Brand new nine millimeter. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. So Matt Barney five is a reference to, uh, to an old television show. Yeah. Andy yeah Green another show. one of those, uh, 50s and 60s television shows. <laughs> Not that old. Captain Old Soul. He's uh, he's pretty vanilla. Yeah, this morning, uh, Hee Haw came on on one of those in between like sub channels that we get. And I love, I love Hee Haw. See, Tim, I'm more of a like, I like MacGyver and, and Knight oh. Rider. I mean, Airwolf? Come on. Come on. You, of course. Yes. No one else knows Airwolf. Oh. Dan Michael oh. Vincent, Ernest Borgnine. You know, it was so funny. I was, uh, this was about five or six years ago. I was in Germany for the Ewa show and there was, they love airwolf over there. Oh yeah. Well, so there's this huge poster and of course I run up and I had to take my picture with it. Um, and for me, it was Michael Knight of Knight Rider. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. David Hasselhoff Hasselhoff is huge over in Germany. Like he's this huge celebrity. (laughs) He cut an album. I think he's a joke. So he cut an album and it was huge over there also. He did. Yeah. Yeah. He was there in concert actually when I was. Wow. And uh, I have no desire to watch him sing because, of course, to me, he was always the, you know, uh huh. He was he was Kip's partner, so you know, kid no in the coolest and car he ever. He was the star in the best show ever, Baywatch. Baywatch. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about that. You guys are skipping over some real important American history. He's here. got so many moves. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you got lots of time to catch up on the reruns. <laughs> yes. Okay, guys. Uh, the wildlife word this week is keratin. Are you familiar with it? No, sir. Okay. Well, here is uh, here are your choices. It's either A, a protein that forms the spurs in turkeys, B, a prop-based comedian who will never be asked to do ads for plastic surgery, C, the pile of peelings left after preparing carrots, or D, the guard hairs found only in the left ear of white-tailed deer. Chase, what do you got? I got A. 100% it is. Tim, you're going to have to make these a little harder. Like, give me two that are could be it, you know. <laughs> going forward, let's have two of the multiple choice that might be it. I like the creativity, though. Okay. I'm making a note of that right now. There you go. Yeah, uh, it's, uh, it's a protein that forms uh, spurs, the scales on turkey's legs, and even helps produce their beards. Oh. You got keratin in your fingernails. Yes. It's all over the place. <laughs> and that's you this week's You're going to need to get Tim out a little bit, Matt. Well, it's Tim. Wait, I actually prefer that he's locked up at home. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
Well, I tell you what we should do next week for this show. I'll cut your hair, Matt. Uh, That would be really, I would actually be in favor of watching that. Yeah. If I waited this long to get my hair cut, literally like since the end of February, I'm going to wait it out until my haircut lady is back. (laughs) I don't know. That's, that's, I got to say, you said that, Matt, that is really cool that you shot her, you know, um, some cash. That's something, gosh, everybody should take a little bit of that and, and think about that. You know, the, um, not always fun to get carry out at the restaurant, but if you're, if you're local, you know, locally owned restaurant is offering that you should go down and, and get a box meal from them every once in a while. And we should all be looking at little ways we can keep the businesses afloat. That's cool. That you yeah. did that really cool. It definitely means the world of uh, world of difference to them, the, the restaurants and the carry out and all that. That's a big one too. So it's, it's, you know, you feel bad for them all. I, we're lucky and fortunate we can work from home and we're still generating paychecks, but you know, not everybody's so lucky, obviously the employment numbers are skyrocketing. So just trying to do, I heard, the, um, there. I heard the Lakers voluntarily decided to give their 4.5 million back on their um, grant money that they got. Jeez. I mean, really? Shake Shack did that. Yeah. A number of larger, larger corporations. Well, why'd they get the grant to begin with then? <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's pretty interesting. I saw, um, I won't keep his name out, but, um, you know, a real small photography business and, uh, just was fighting to get, the payroll protection plan. And, you know, he didn't, his, his big bank didn't get him processing the Ruth Chris $20 million. So, yeah. Yeah. We, we were fortunate in the, and here's one of those deals where you're lucky to live in a small town and, you know, where we're bait, where we're originally based out of Bloomsdale, Missouri, there are 400, 500 people in that town. And the bank of Bloomsdale is our, is our financial institute that we utilize. And, you know, you're in the front of the line, you know, at a time like that. And, it, and we were very lucky to, to, to be able to work around the clock with them and, and get approved for a little bit. But, um, yeah, you know, it, that's one of those plus pluses of living in, in a rural com- community. I, I agree. We're in a town of 1600 and it's the same thing. It's, it's unbelievable. So feel very fortunate. Um, when you have the, those relationships that take care of you. So, so yeah, man, that was, that's cool. I'm going to, I actually can't wait to share that with my staff that you did that for your, um, your hair cutter. So oh, and it's not, I shouldn't even have shared it. That's not why I meant to say it, but it's just something it's little things that, you know, do what you can do what you can afford. If you can afford it, if you can't, you know, obviously don't, but, um, yeah, you know, every little bit helps right now for, for those people out there that, that really rely on, cash, you know, that's yeah. a, you know, a person working at a restaurant, a server, a, you know, whatever haircut, but those people, they rely on cash mostly. I can't wait to go to like a bar restaurant again, sit down, order a greasy cheeseburger and a beer and tip the waiter or waitress like really well. Like, I just can't wait to sit down at a bar restaurant again. I just can't wait to go to a bar. (laughs) (laughs) That business is going to be booming after this whole thing is over. Oh yeah. No, it is. It is. Chase. Thanks for hopping on with us. We appreciate it. Thanks for everything you're doing. If folks want to get in touch with you, how do they do that? Uh, Check us out. We're uh, rublinemarketing.com. Rubline, you know, obviously just uh, what a deer does in the woods and um, our email, everything's on there. We've got Facebook, Instagram, of course. Um, we, uh, we got a great team, so I appreciate working with you guys. It's always so much fun, and you guys always do such a great job. So, yeah, thanks for having me on. 
I'll add Our this pleasure. before we before we uh, depart here. We've worked with Chase a long time. If there are any businesses, and I I've have been speaking with several new uh, potential partners, and every time I do, I bring them up, and I'm like, hey, if you have marketing needs or if you need strategies, Chase is um, him and his group. They really are. Uh, they work their tails off and they're innovate, innovators in a lot of way. All you got to do is be able to go to the ATA show and check out the sink crusher booth and what goes on there. I mean, it's unbelievable what they can generate. So there's a lot of not so great marketing firms in our industry. There's, there's a few good ones and Chase is one of the great ones. So if, no, if, if the business owners out there listening, I'm sure they could do things outside of uh, the hunting industry as well. We do. We, uh, uh, we recently have been working the last year with a body piercing uh, or a body jewelry company. So if you've got any piercings, Matt, I can hook you up. <laughs> there was a day and time when I did, but not anymore. <laughs> not anymore. <laughs> those days. Yeah, we've got a few outside of the industry that are uh, they're a lot of fun. And I noticed the scent crusher closet in the back there. So uh, make sure you're using your ozone often to uh, try to get rid of that flu and virus stuff. There you go. No ozone uh, can, can go a long way in a lot uh, of ways. That's right. No, it was fun. Thanks for having me on, guys. I'll do it again. All right, buddy. Thank you. All right. Thanks, everyone, for listening. We'll see you next week when we are back in the studio for reels. Peace.